Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays for Text Driven Tuesday. Morning, George. Good morning. Looks a little different in here, huh? It does. It yeah. does. We yeah. uh, had nice. some very kind and generous folks make a great donation to the program. Uh, so the cameras are like top notch now. No more iPhones. <laughs> so it, these cameras are amazing. You probably can tell uh, they're going to look even better once uh, we get Larry in here because mm-hmm. we're not great at lighting. Yeah. Well, I'm not. You just been sit, you've been sitting there. and We've been adjusting. <laughs> yeah, I've, off your face. Yeah, all I've been doing is sitting there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a lighting expert, so we'll get uh, when Larry comes in here for Free for All Friday. Probably look even even better. But it looks. Uh, yeah, it looks, looks nice. Looks uh, big good. thanks. Big thanks to uh, those who donated. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. Well, we're back in Hebrews. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, Reformation Sunday. Mm-hmm. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, um, let's see. So this is Text Driven Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So when people listen to it, it will be the day after Reformation Day. Right. Um, so 505 years ago, October 31st, 1517, uh, is the date when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the... Uh, church doors in Wittenberg, Germany. Yeah. And that's, that sparked the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, so for uh, churches like our church, um, that we, we think history is important, mm. and we're Protestants for a reason, even though we aren't Lutheran or, or Presbyterians, you know, we're Reformed Baptist. Um, and so we, we think it's very important. We cel- it's celebrated usually by most people in our church, mm-hmm. Reformation Day and Sunday. Um, and it's very interesting because people may think uh, that we planned out for me to stop where I stopped mm-hmm. and, and my text, and then you jump back into Hebrews, and wouldn't you know, the last word in your text in verse 10 is the word Reformation. But we didn't plan that out at all. No, we're not that smart. <laughs> I don't think we could have done that. Yeah. I don't think we could have planned it out if, uh, if, we, had, if we had tried Right. Um, and as I, I was thinking about it, um, I, I think that if uh, if the preaching schedule that we had originally planned, um, if we'd followed through on that, I think you would still be. I think you were you were supposed to be up around this time. Yeah, I, I, uh, but you got you got sick with uh, with COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. What a couple of months ago. Yeah, that messed which it up. messed up our entire preaching schedule, which mm-hmm. landed us here. Yeah, <laughs> and so. Wouldn't um, you know it? Not, um, I mean, it's it's just a happy little accident, Jay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is the this is like the third time something like this has happened mm-hmm. during a, a, either a Reformation Day or Easter, mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. where it just so happens right. that the text is perfect. Yeah. For Reformation Day. Mm-hmm. So one time over at Redeemer before we merged. I landed on the text in John where Jesus tells the um, the Pharisees um, who think they're righteous because they're children of Abraham, he, and he says, you're not of Abraham. If you were, you would do the works Abraham did. Mm. So what is he, he's referencing what, what um, Paul talks about, that mm-hmm. Abraham believed, believed. God, mm-hmm. and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Yeah. And he says, and that's when Jesus goes on, you know, to, to talk about. And what he's saying is, you, I'm here, you're not believing God. Right. 
So it was just perfect. I was like, how can you even set this up even better? Right. <laughs> Impossible. So and here you are. The word Reformation is the last word in your text. Mm-hmm. This is set up for If you're you. using the ESV. Yeah. Well, uh, most, most of the translations have it. Have, they do? Uh, they translate it as Reformation. What do the other ones have? Uh, New International Version and the Christian Standard has um, the New Age. New Age. It's, uh, what does it say? Um, I've got it written in here somewhere. <clears throat> Until the time of the new... The time of the new age, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, oh, the new order. The, the new, new order. order. So what does the so, word which Reformation sa- which sounds a, Which sounds a little sinister. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the new world order. Oh, my. Yeah, the new order is what the, the NIV and the Christian Standard Bible has. Well, tell us what this word Reformation means in Hebrews 9, chapter 10, and then let's jump into the intro of your sermon. Okay. Um, so, uh, Reformation is a Latin word, um, but it's translating this Greek word, which means to straighten out. Um, the, uh, the, Greek, the Greek physician, um, Hippocrates, where the Hippocratic Oath mm-hmm. comes from, um, he used the word in his writings to talk about um, straightening out a um, a malformed limb. But that didn't wasn't painful at all back then. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it it means to uh, to straighten out, um, to set on the right path. Um, in uh, in Acts chapter twenty four verse two, um, the Jewish leaders they're uh, they're prosecuting Paul, and their lawyer stands up to talk to um, to Felix, the governor Felix, and uh, he starts out by thanking Felix for all the reforms that mm. uh, that he's instituted in Judea. Okay, so the ways in which he's improved right um, life. Okay. So all of those coming together, it's the it's the it's the new age. Uh, yeah. It's the it's the new covenant is what he's talking about. Right. Um, the time of reformation is when God straightens out that which is crooked. Okay. Um, or he improves upon that which is is lacking. All so right. the old covenant is lacking. It's it's weak. It it doesn't bring perfection. And so God promises in the Old Testament, then He brings it to pass in the New Covenant. This time of reformation, He makes He makes it um, He makes it new. The time of fulfillment. Okay. Uh, don't recap all of Hebrews. Um, I would like <clears throat> you to read the text. So set up the text. So okay. what did we last time we were here? What were we? We yeah. finished up discussing the New Covenant and the 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 priesthood, mm-hmm. the high priesthood of Christ as superior. Right. How does it now segue into? Well, this you've section? got you've got chapter. Uh, so it's really difficult to find like the breaks. Yeah, so. um, chapter seven is all about how Christ's priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. So mm-hmm. if uh, if people remember us talking about Melchizedek. Christ right. is superior to um, the Levitical priesthood because his his priesthood is not based upon a genealogical principle. It's mm-hmm. based upon his indestructible life. And yeah. so he is the superior priest. And um, chapter 8 talks about the fact that he is this, uh, he's this great high priest who ministers in the true tent, the true tabernacle, um, the true uh, um, place where, where God dwells. Not not the earthly one in Jerusalem, but the heavenly one. And so um, we talked a bit about how the uh, the tabernacle that Moses constructed um, in Exodus was a um, it was a copy 
of yeah. the true the true tabernacle. He was shown this this pattern on the mountain, and he had to make it according to the pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then he's this he's this great high priest who um, he mediates a better covenant. And so we have um, this great passage in in chapter eight, verses eight through the end of the chapter that's all about the new covenant. It's not like the old covenant because um, the people broke the law. They broke the law um, immediately after they receive it at Mount Sinai. And so God promises that he's gonna bring a new covenant. And this one's not gonna be like the old covenant because the law is gonna be written on the people's hearts. They're gonna have um, unfettered access to God. He's gonna be their God. They're gonna be his people. Um, They'll all know him. Everyone in the new covenant knows God in a relational sense. Um, And this is uh, because he actually forgives their sins. And so now chapter nine and, and even going into uh, to chapter ten is going to be this comparison between the the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay. And so the passage that we looked at on Sunday was dealing with the old covenant. All right. Well, let's have you read, and then we'll jump in. Okay. Uh, we're looking at Hebrews chapter nine, and this is verses one through ten. All right. So let's uh, let's see. Are we gonna. Oh, wrong one. Different. Other <coughs> tablet. Other tablet. My tablet. There we go. There we go. All right. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. All right. Good. Okay. So you have uh, three points um, that you have, and let's see, how did you word it? Um, I would be great if I could pull my notes up. Mm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, first off, yeah, let's, uh, let's try that. How about that? Um, here we are. Uh, three things to consider of the first covenant. Mm-hmm. That's your outline, right? Yep. yep, that's it. You have the glory of the first covenant, mm-hmm. and now I don't know if I got the other ones. Okay. Because <laughs> I was distracted, as I told you. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I was distracted during the reading because um, my youngest, Josiah, he was misbehaving. Oh, and so I, Julia was having to deal with him, and I could hear him say, "I don't want a spanking. I don't want a spanking." <laughs> <laughs> I can. Uh, I, other people's kids, they can be loud, and you don't hear it. I, well, I, I can hear it, but it yeah. doesn't distract me. But then I hear my my own kid, and it can be a distraction. So I was trying to. I was really trying to focus on the reading while listening to uh, him say, "I don't want a spanking." <laughs> so, 
I don't have any idea if I'm right or not. Okay, I've got all right. The, glo- <laughs> the glory of the first covenant. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the restrictions of the first covenant. Uh, the weaknesses. Okay. The weaknesses. I put of the, the first restrictions. Covenant. Okay. And then the reformation of the first covenant. Um, the first covenant anticipated the time of reformation. Oh, I just like I was going for some alliteration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll jump in, but uh, George, okay. um, there are people probably listening that aren't uh, like you know as familiar with Reformation mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, so talk about because it was it was your introduction to this text, yeah. which this, it, the text is really God's Reformation right. of the Old Covenant, right? It's not, a, right. it's not it's not it's not a uh, it's not a prophecy about Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about God's reformation. <laughs> right. Let's talk let's talk about uh tell us just the history of what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean there's a lot that we could talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um the the uh the Roman Catholic Church of the Middle Ages was the center of life yeah. um in Europe. Um the uh, the Pope was able to establish kings on their thrones. If you if you wanted the the blessing of the Pope, um, do what he says. <laughs> right? Right. And by him bless by him him uh, sanctioning um, your 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 ascendancy to the throne, um, it, it gives you the divine right to rule. Mm-hmm. And what king wouldn't want the divine right, right to rule? Because now, if, if there's uh, if there's any kind of rebellion or any complaints, I mean, well, I'm God's king, right? Right. So, uh, so um, the the church was powerful because they're the ones that are that are establishing. Yeah, they're these the king kings, ma- kingmakers. Right? Um, they uh, they controlled armies because of this. Um, you know, if you if you want the blessing of the church, you have to do what the Pope wants you to do. Um, so they could make alliances, political alliances. They had political enemies. They could tax the people. Um, so they were they were they were the most powerful institution um, in Europe, maybe in the world mm-hmm. um, at that time. Uh, and they were so central. I mean, they they controlled every aspect of of life. Um, everything you did had some relation to the church. And the, the best illustration of this is that towns were built around the church. Mm-hmm. So you'd have the cathedral in the middle of the of the city, and then they would they would build around it. Um but it was it was also rich. Um the people would give a tenth of their income to the church. Um uh, there was a lot of uh um politicians and rich people, they would pay the church for their, you know, their son to become a priest because right. he becomes a priest, he can become a bishop, and Influent. then you know, eventually he he has a shot at becoming the pope. And right. and if you're the pope, you're the most powerful person in the world. Um, so there was there was a lot of you know underhanded dealings, but it made the church really rich, um, not only powerful but rich. Um, they also were paid for you know, different services. You could you pay for them to do a mass for for someone when they died or you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, I had a menu board. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty much. Bless yeah, the, you, you want me to bless the uh, dog? Uh-huh. Yeah. A gold coin. I cannot remember. Bless your house, five gold coins. I'm going to get this wrong, and I'm going to hear about it um, after Julia <laughs> Julia listens to the podcast. But I, I know, uh, you know her her mother's side of the family came from the... They're, they're, they were strong Catholics. Mm-hmm. 
Um, her mother was converted and came out of Catholicism, but she has family members that uh, are still Catholic. And one of her relatives, um, uh, she paid for some mass to be said. I cannot mm. remember what the occasion Interesting. was. Um, but, extra mass. Yeah, yeah. there's an extra mass that was being said. Uh, but not only were they powerful and rich, but they were corrupt. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, if you mean if, you mean Julia's if, family, yeah, no, come on, <laughs> George, <Catholic Church. laughs> Giorgio, you got to be careful with your words, buddy. Yeah, that's true. I need some better transitions. Huh? <laughs> um, the Catholic Church. I mean, you, you can imagine if if these rich people are are just paying for right. you know family members to be made priest. Yeah, it's it's not. Um, you're not going into it because you're devoted right. to the church. Yeah. So you had priests that. Um, they were theologically inept. Uh, they were morally corrupt. Uh, I mean, priests and even the Pope were siring, you know, illegitimate children right. all over the place. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, many of them were uneducated. They, they couldn't even understand the mass that they were reading in Latin. Yeah, which is mind blowing when you think about it. Like mm-hmm. you go to mass, uh, like no. The regular people can't understand. Yeah, it, they don't understand. But the people, Latin. the people it was doing the, it, it was the scholarly yeah, language. It was and the that, scholarly and theological language yeah. at the time. But they don't even understand what they're doing. Either. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the Bible was chained to the right. to the the podium, so yeah. people didn't have Bibles of their own. So they were right. just going off of what these theologically and morally corrupt um, priests were telling them. Yeah, right. and then you have uh, into this world comes Martin Luther, who right. who was. Whose dad, I guess, want, he wanted him to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. and I guess he was going along with that track. From what from what I've read, it yeah. sounds like his dad was, uh, I think, what we would call it today is abusive. But he was very hard on him. <laughs> and, uh, it, I and, think he was kind of a blue collar guy. Yeah. Um, so he saved up money for Luther to go become a lawyer. Yeah, and then uh, on some trip, uh, Luther's caught out in a, a severe thunderstorm. Um, I think um, maybe lightning even struck close to him, and mm-hmm. he he cried out to Saint Anna, "If you'll save me, <laughs> then I'll become a monk." Yeah, and uh, he survives the storm, and he becomes a monk, much to the consternation. Saint of Anna, his dad. Huh? what is Saint Anna? The she like the lightning? I don't even the lightning saint. I don't even. What is know. she? I'm curious now. Yeah, I'm looking it up. I don't know. I'm gonna look it up while you tell the probably, story. Probably, probably the patron saint of travelers or something. I bet. It, yeah, probably. Um. So he becomes a monk, and uh, he became a really good monk, is what he said. He, uh, he said that if anyone could be saved by his monkery, it was I. Uh, so he was, he was a really good monk. He became a, a teacher in the, in the school. So he was, um, it was the seminary. He, so he was, he was training theologians. Um, and uh, during this time, he's having his own inner struggles because he is... Um, he's vexed by his guilty conscience. He he recognizes that he is um, he's a sinner and he cannot shake he can't shake his guilt. So he would spend um, hours in the confessional confessing every little sin, and um, then he would leave and he would immediately think of something else and he'd go back to the priest. Um, it became so uh, so severe that. Um, I don't know if it was the priest over him or the bishop or um, his mentor, uh, someone that had authority over him, sent him to Rome, thinking that if he went to Rome, that uh, and he was 
at the heart of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. that, that somehow everything would be okay. But when Luther got to Rome, uh, what did he discover? But Rome was full of immorality and decadence. Uh, it was even worse <laughs> than, yeah. uh, than where he was in Germany. Uh, but he was still going through these acts of, of penance. So he, uh, he actually uh, crawled up the steps of... Um, they, they said that these were the steps leading up to right. the praetorium, up to, up to Pilate's mm-hmm. um, palace that Jesus stood trial on, and they'd move them from Jerusalem to, uh, to Rome. It's like a uh, religious uh, Six Flags. Sure, sure. <laughs> like you, yeah, you go around. You know, sure. you can. Uh, uh-huh. There's a little piece of Noah's Ark, and uh-huh. you know, maybe uh, like I don't know, John, John the Baptist toenail or whatever, and you know that kind of thing. And you can go right. climb the steps, uh-huh. and every every like attraction you go to, and you of course you have to you have to pay a little bit there, mm-hmm. but then you get to go and you know ride the attraction, and that's a little time off of your time yeah. in purgatory. Yeah, so he climbed these steps on his knees um, when he got to the top. It, was, it didn't do anything for his for his guilty conscience. Yeah, um, and he saw all kinds of like uh, he saw that the priests there were just corrupt. Yeah, yeah they're corrupt. They're like there's like special uh, prostitution houses mm-hmm. for priests and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Luther, he was he was taking seriously um, the holiness of God and his own sin, but he uh, everything that he tried uh, to do to to assuage his guilt, it it simply was not it wasn't working. Um, uh, at this time, he uh, so the the Gutenberg's printing press has been the the major invention of this time, and so they're able to start printing. Um, these ancient manuscripts and Gutenberg actually put together a, a Greek New Testament and Luther has been reading and studying his Greek New Testament and he's uh, he's stuck on Romans chapter 1 verse 17 um, which says that um, in in the gospel the righteousness of God has been revealed and he said I hated that that word the righteousness of God because every one of that time the 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 priests the theologians they all were saying that the righteousness of God is that by which a righteous God punishes unrighteous sinners mm-hmm. and Luther who is just weighed down by his own guilt he recognizes his unrighteousness and he says I hated this God because um he it's it's like he just uh, wanted to punish the unrighteous, and nothing I could do could make me right before this God. And so he was uh, he was really struggling with this. Mm. Um, but uh, through his continued studies, um, God, by his grace, um, actually opened Luther's eyes to understand what Romans chapter 1, verse 17 is actually saying. It's not so much that God is uh, righteous in punishing sinners, um, which he, he is, but that verse, the, the gospel, is that God actually gives his righteousness to the sinner. And so it's, uh, it's the good news um, that God has done something by his, his grace that uh, Luther or other sinners could never do. And he said, um, at last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gate that had been flung open. Mm. So he was born again. He, he understood the gospel and he was converted because he understood that um, the righteousness of God is that which God provides 
for um, for sinners yeah. through Christ, and it's received by faith, yeah, um, not by works. Yeah. That so that's the that's the change that he was uh-huh. going through um, just by reading his New Testament, right. just by reading the Greek New Testament. Um, but uh, there he came in the controversy with the Catholic Church. He came in the conflict with yeah. them because uh, the Pope wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh-huh. this, this massive cathedral. Um, but he needed money, right? right? He needed the funds, and so a little uh, little business transaction. Uh, this little business uh, idea popped up that uh, hey, well, let's sell indulgences, <laughs> and these uh, and the money that comes from indulgences will go to build St. Peter's Basilica. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in, actually a genius idea that they had. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I'm not I'm not condoning its morality, <laughs> but it's like uh, the big. It's like the Jay's best. got a building. Uh, he's got yeah. a building project in mind. It's like the best con. Like <laughs> it you is. come up with a con. Yeah, it is. How about a magic uh, pot of uh, mm-hmm. merit you can sit on? Yeah, like so a, mag- a, ma- a giant treasure. So the church, the church taught that um, there was this um, uh, treasury of merit. Mm-hmm. So Jesus and Mary and the apostles and the saints, they lived such righteous lives that they not only earned their own salvation, but they had some left over. Yeah. What are you going to do with this you leftover? Where are, gonna, the, where are you going to do with this it, leftover righteousness? Well, you put it in basically the savings account. Yeah. The, this, the, the bank, you put it in the grace bank. Yeah. Yeah. And so whenever um, you need, you know, a little bit of extra grace, you can tap into that, that yeah. treasury of merit. And the way There's, to do that was through the indulgences. So people did more. So Jesus did more than what was required of him. Right. But the saints also that they verified as saints that right. have gone to heaven. I mean, they obviously, did, they the did apostle, more too. The apostles, yeah. Mary. Um, they just drop. They, they had, you know, they that, had that they extra had. grace just doesn't float off into the ether. They right. drop it in the bank. Mm-hmm. I like to think of it as like Scrooge McDuck, the Ducks, Ducks Bank. You know, okay. the one where he j- uh-huh. dives, dives uh-huh. in in the pile of gold and swim, right. swims right. around. Uh-huh. That's like the Pope's uh, right. bank. That's his <laughs> right. uh, Treasury of Merit Bank. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so these indulgences, they were uh, they were pieces of paper. They were documents that you could purchase that um, would forgive sins. So um, you go to a priest and say, I, I want to, and they, they usually do this for like dead, dead family members. Right. Um, so I've, I've got a dead uncle. Um, I'd like to buy an indulgence to get him out of purgatory, uh, get him out of purgatory a little bit faster. Yeah. Because right? purgatory is this place where um, uh, dead Christians who are not saints go to uh, burn off <laughs> their unrighteousness, make mm-hmm. them fit for heaven. Uh, it's an unbiblical, unbiblical idea, but um, that this was what the the Roman Catholic Church was teaching: is that pretty much if you weren't a saint, you were going to spend some time in purgatory. So you, mm-hmm. you buy some indulgences, and uh, you can knock off some of that that time. Right. Um, there was uh, there's even uh, some stories of priests that sold indulgences to people, and the the person would take the indulgence and then. Beat up and robbed the priest, yeah, because they had the, they had the indulgence. Yeah, I heard Tetzel got he actually got robbed. He got robbed. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what happens when you sell when you sell, right. you know, yeah, forgiveness on it's a piece of paper. He said uh, the guy says this this indulgence will forgive me any sin, and he's like, yes, any <laughs> right. sin, even if you were to like violate, yeah, the, the mother of the God, holy mother uh-huh. herself, yeah, the, then you'd be forgiven. He's right. like, okay, well, I'll take one. Yeah, and then <laughs> as he was driving somewhere. Uh-huh. 
he got ambushed yeah. by the guy and mm. he got all the money right um that's, that's like that's a that's a, that's that's, Conan, that's that's playing uh that's, that's Conan playing the con artist 4d chess right yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the the main salesman was Johann Tetzel. Yeah. Um, he was a Dominican friar who became the um, the grand commissioner for the selling of indulgences, and this this guy was top tier salesman. Right. Um, so he came up with jingles to uh, to get people to buy these indulgences. So the, the most famous one is uh, when the coin in the copper or when the uh, coin in the coffer rings. The soul from Purgatory Springs, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, he he said indulgences even were uh, sufficient to forgive someone if they violated the the Mother of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing this. He's doing this right across the the border of Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Prince of Germany, um, I think it's Prince Albert. Was that was that who it was? Sounds. I don't know. I cannot remember. Anyway, the Prince of Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably can find it, <laughs> find yeah. it pretty fast. I found St. Anne. Uh, oh, really? What, yeah, what's yeah. St. Anne? Uh, oh, you, I was going to hold on to Oh, you're going to hold on to it. Okay. But... All right. So the uh, the Prince of Germany, he he actually outlawed um, Tetzel from doing this. But Tetzel set up right across the border from Germany. And so the people from Germany would just go and buy an indulgence and then come back uh but luther he saw this as a um an outrageous abuse of the people um and it's undermining what he's what he's understanding from the gospels and so um he he writes um these 95 theses or these propositions um and they're aimed at the indulgences um he's he's questioning um how how uh, repentance can be bought for money and uh, if the pope has the uh, the power to forgive sins why uh, why doesn't he just forgive sins without people you know spending money mm-hmm. um so he uh, he takes these 95 propositions and he nails them to the church door in wittenberg um on uh october 31st which is all hallows eve yeah the night before um all Saints Day, November 1st. Uh, this would be a time when um, people would have been coming to the church. And he wasn't trying to spark a movement. He was trying to start a discussion. Yeah. So he, he wrote it in Latin and po- posted it on the door. This would have been like the billboard right. for, the, for the town. Um, and he, he wanted to get a discussion between the, the theologians. Mm-hmm. But some of his students got a hold of it. They translated it into the common language. And because of Gutenberg's print and press, they... Printed it, disseminated yeah. it, uh, uh, you know, across across the land, uh-huh. and now there's this big movement, mm-hmm. um, and it sparked uh, it sparked this great revival that we now call the Protestant Reformation. Right, right. Um, he, Luther wasn't trying to start some kind of um, uh, different sect or church. He wanted to he wanted to reform the abuses of uh, what he saw in the Catholic Church, but uh, the Catholic um, hierarchy. Um, they were they were too invested. They were too invested in, in what they were doing, um, and so that it just came into direct conflict with uh, with Luther, and they eventually uh, uh, excommunicated him and called him a heretic. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So so I found out Saint Anne. Okay, um, was apparently Jesus' grandma. Okay. All right. <laughs> there's no. There's nothing in the Bible about her. It's right, just right. you know their tradition. Yeah, yeah. So, you know she is supposed to have uh, 
so so Jesus is born of a virgin. Right. But Mary is also supposed to have been born of a virgin. Yeah, so this is like, uh, I guess, I, I have no idea. Like maybe if uh, calling out to Mary would be like, good, how about the one who gave birth to Mary? Mm-hmm. And then boom, even better. Mm-hmm. Like the gold of the altar, right. who knows? Right, um, Yeah. So she was apparently... Um, the patron saint of like families and fertility because she's like fertile. Uh-huh. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't know. And then something to do with like rain. I, I saw so the rain in Germany in like June and July uh-huh. was like her dowry or, or something. Like it's her. <laughs> yeah. And so she has something to do with the rain. So maybe this happened in July, June or July. I don't know. Did it? I don't. I don't know. So it's like uh, she's. The one who's uh, in charge of the rain. I have no idea. Maybe it's just his family's favorite patron saint. Who knows? It could. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, there you have it. So, um, so Luther, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's uh, going against uh, the Roman Catholic Church and really taking aim at indulgences. And... Uh, because of his efforts, the Catholic Church has stopped doing indulgences altogether. <laughs> George, <laughs> George, you're so funny, man. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh. I think that uh, you know we we talked about it on here <laughs> that five years ago when we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the Baptist Association here in town mm-hmm. was having a night of unity with. With Catholics, Roman Catholics, yeah, um, and there's, there's, uh, I think that a lot of of um, of Christians can think well, they're not, we're not that different. Right. I mean, the Catholic Church has some, um, they're they're high church, they do a lot of rituals, and and there's things that we don't understand. Uh, but besides them, you know, praying to Mary, there's not, <laughs> it's not really that big a difference. And I think it's important to continually remind people um, the Catholic Church hasn't really changed their their theology they're right. not they're maybe not um doing the abuse like tetzel was doing but um in 2013 uh pope francis yeah he uh said he would grant indulgences to catholics who followed him on twitter yeah I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, nothing's really changed. Right. Um, there's a book. R.C. Sproul wrote a book it's called "Are We Together?" Yeah. Um, and I've handed, I've given that to people before. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have Catholic family members, and uh, they think, you know, they maybe their family member would even say, you know, we're not really that different. Right. Uh, probably they're not familiar with. I've only met a couple of Catholics <clears throat> that were like, I would say, legit practicing, mm-hmm. knew the church's history, knew what everything meant. Right. Uh, but there's just a lot of nominal Catholics, just like there's a lot of nominal yeah, right. Baptists in the world. Right. But that book's really good because it walks through like each major issue of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Mary's part, pur- uh-huh. purgatory, uh, justification by faith, the key and primary issue. Mm-hmm. It talks about the Lord's Supper. What do they believe? What do we believe? Yeah. Um, and of course, indulgences. I mm-hmm. mean, so it's still it's still there. It's so. still there. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's it's important for us to to remember that. Um, uh, the Reformation, it's not just a little bit of, of history that we need to, you know, memorize facts for. Right. Um, and we just we just talk about it as, as just part of, you know, our history 500 years ago, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really, you know, impact us today. Um, 
it's still going on. Mm-hmm. The the Roman Catholic Church is still they're still teaching doctrines that are contrary to the gospel as found in the scriptures. Um, and it's not just them. There there's other there's other um, cults, other religions that are doing the same thing, claiming Christianity but undermining the the central elements of the gospel. Um, and then just uh, the Protestant, the Protestants um, just as a whole have right. been. I mean, we we talk about the uh, the mainline denominations that are Protestant: um, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, um, the Anglican Church. They all have they all have gone liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, in their, you know, the big, the big, the one, big yeah. ones. They've got little, little. Uh, uh-huh. They're still conservative Presbyterians, They've and got, they're still yeah. conservative Anglicans and and yeah. Lutherans. But the the, the big, big one. the big ones um, have have just been going right. liberal, and they're undermining the very things that the reformers were fighting for, and and many of them lost their lives for. Yeah, uh, we we need to constantly be coming back to uh, to the gospel, and uh, the. The phrase that was that appeared in uh, a devotional in 1674 was that the church reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 constantly have to be um, aware uh, of our theology and our practices. Do these line up with what the scriptures teach? So we're we're constantly reforming according to the word of God, um, and so that's that's where that's where we we come into our our passage. Um, and because, that was your intro. Yeah, that was. It was thirty-seven was minutes long. <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> here we are. Yeah, um, but uh, we're we're always going to be tempted to go to um, these outward rituals that we can see and we can touch and we can smell and and we uh, we want to um, try to earn our way to God through these rituals. And that's what that's what the author of Hebrews is mm-hmm. is arguing uh, against because the, uh, the the Christians to whom he's writing are being tempted by persecution and and uh, and suffering to go back to the temple in Jerusalem with its outward rituals. Yeah, you can actually go to a place and you can actually go to a priesthood and they're they're offering animal sacrifices. You can you can see them and you can hear them pronounce it. You're forgiven when you uh, when you kill this animal, and and you know all the rituals that the priests are doing um, continually, and you have the Day of Atonement, and and all of these would be a a, a big draw, and I think we see right. that we see that even today that there's still this draw for uh, for for Christians to be pulled into um, these outward rituals mm-hmm. that uh, the author of Hebrews is going to say they don't really do anything, and I came across a video. Okay, Jay, awesome. So this. yeah, this this first section is all about it. This is your first point. Yeah, the glory of the first covenant, mm-hmm. and it, it was good because uh, once I had a church member recently wrote to me, and they, they said, "Do you have anything on like the tabernacle or the temple?" Uh-huh. And I said, "Well, there's you know there are some stuff you can look at online. I, you know, there's nothing like in particular because he was interested in like maybe more information about uh-huh. what did the things mean. Mm-hmm. I said, well, we don't have anything other than what the Bible says, so anything other than what the Bible says about what these things mean, and appointed him here to Hebrews, and then, mm-hmm. of course, the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, anything other than that would be like maybe just from tradition, mm-hmm. because 
I mean, what we need to know about it is found in God's Word. Yeah. But we don't always know exactly what it looks like. It's hard to picture in our mind what it looks like. Yeah. And it's probably way more amazing looking than what you... Oh, yeah. What yeah. you kind of bring up in your own mind. Right. What so you can like. you can find um you can find diagrams of what the tabernacle looks like and this is the one I was planning on um printing this out for our church uh but our printer mm-hmm. <laughs> has been um not cooperating with us. So I've got a I've got a diagram here. You, you can look this up. You can go on the Google and just type in a diagram of Israel, you know, Israel's tabernacle uh-huh. and you can get this um, this is from the ESV Study Bible, so if you have an ESV Study yeah. Bible, you can just crack that open to Exodus twenty-seven or something, and there you'll find this picture. Yeah. If you, so, if you're listening, you'll want to go over to the video to see this, um, or just take out your phone and Google say, it. diagram of <laughs> diagram of uh, Israel's tabernacle, and it, it'll pop up. There's there's a bunch of different uh, pictures I found. I I just like this one, um, just kind of an open view to it. So the first um, the the first five verses of chapter nine. Were a little difficult to uh, to walk through because it's just a list. <laughs> it's just a list of, of what the tabernacle looks like. Mm-hmm. So you've got this tent. Um, it's uh, it's co- it's it's connected by these wooden poles. So you, the the temple w- or the tabernacle was able to be assembled and disassembled really quickly, so they could they could travel from place to place in the wilderness. Uh, it's covered in uh, all the in pieces layers. Are gold. Yeah, and the the wooden pieces are all, all overlaid with gold. Um, it's covered with uh, layers of um, fabric and and animal skins. Um, I think there's five layers um, of of covering over it's a lot the tent. of layers. So it's it's a tent. That's waterproof. For sure. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd want it to be right. Mm-hmm. Like you don't. You've got stuff burning in here. You don't want. You don't want it to leak or anything. So it's it's protected. Um, so there, that it's just a tent, right? Um, and to get into it, there is a curtain. There's this uh, this purple and blue and red um, curtain at the entrance, and you walk in, and you see that the the tabernacle is divided into two sections. Uh, you can see this in the passage. There's the holy place. That's the first section, and if you look to your left, you're going to see the um, the golden lampstand. Um, you can see that mm-hmm. uh, just right there, right there, right. Um, if you've ever seen a candelabra, a menorah uh, right. during Hanukkah, that's what it is. It's just mm-hmm. a little version of that. Um, it looks like uh, it's got uh, three branches on each side, so there's six branches. They look like almond blossoms. Uh, it looks like a tree. And there's been some theological discussion about um, how this is this is maybe supposed to represent the tree of life. Mm. Um, we don't know, but the, right. there's there's good. I think there's good reason to uh, to think that it's it's supposed to look like a tree. Uh-huh. Um, you turn to your right, and there's a uh, there's a table, and it's a wooden table that's been overlaid with gold, and on it is the bread of the presence. These are twelve loaves of bread that are stacked by sixes. So there's two stacks of six loaves of bread um, on the, on that table. And uh, those are changed out every Sabbath day. Then if you look, uh, if you continue going uh, further into the tabernacle, there is this, uh, this altar of incense. This is what David comes in and gets some, right? Did he eat this bread? The bread of presence. Yeah. He didn't go in. The priest brought it out. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which That's is that. interesting. It's it's supposed to be for the priest, but the the priest gives it to gives right. him the old right. the old bread. Yeah, right. 
Um, you've got the altar of incense right before the uh, the second curtain. A um, little bit of discussion about what's going on in Hebrews because uh, the author of Hebrews says that the second section, which is called the most holy place, or people are probably more familiar with it being called the holy of holies, um, it says that it has the uh, it has the altar of incense. And uh, but you can see on this diagram that the altar of incense is outside of the holy of holies. So a little bit of uh, debate over exactly what's going on there. Uh, I don't know exactly how to how to how to uh, to um, to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's two uh, there's two suggestions. Uh, one of them is that the altar of incense actually was in the holy of holies. I don't think that that's I don't think that's um, that's right because the 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 high priest is supposed to burn incense on this altar every day. Um, but as we're going to see, he can only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. Right. So I don't think that he can go into the Holy of Holies and burn incense every, every day. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's in the, the holy place. Mm-hmm. Um, another suggestion is that uh, the word that's used here for the, uh, the um, altar of incense is used um, in other writings to talk about uh, the golden censer. That uh, he, yeah. you know, he'd have to he'd carry it to in. carry it in with the incense in it, mm-hmm. um, and that may have been stored in the the holy of holies. Um, I think I think the best way to understand it is that it's so intricately related to the day of atonement that the author of Hebrews can talk about it as if it's it's part of the holy of holies. Mm. I don't know. Um, because the high priest is supposed to burn incense on the day of atonement, and it's like this cloud fills the the holy of holies, and it it kind of obscures um, the mercy seat mm-hmm. in the holy of holies. I uh, think of um, think of Isaiah chapter six when mm-hmm. Isaiah mm-hmm. sees uh, God sitting on his throne. There's there's like smoke uh-huh. that fills the temple. It's the 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 altar of incense. Right. That's, that's what that's what it's supposed to be symbolizing. Uh, but then you go through this curtain, the second curtain, um, and the second curtain. It's the same color as the uh, the outer curtain, but this one has cherubim um, embroidered on it, mm-hmm. uh, which has significance. The cherubim are guarding the holy of holies. Mm-hmm. Right. So you go into this uh, this second section. And the second section, the Holy of Holies, it's a cube. Um, it's 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. It's it's a cube. Uh, and in it is the Ark of the Covenant, which is this golden box. Um, and in it contains a jar of manna. Uh, so they, they save some manna uh, for this perpetual reminder of what God had done for them. Uh, there's Aaron's um, Aaron's staff. If you read Numbers, um, there was controversy over Aaron being this chosen high priest and uh, God, God told the the leaders of the tribes, "Bring your staff, and we'll put them before God in the in the tabernacle. And whichever staff buds, yeah. whichever one turns into a tree, uh, that's the one I've chosen." And it was Aaron's. Yeah, um, almond blossoms, by the way, looks like the golden lampstand. Um, and uh, they put that in there. And then there's the uh, the tablets of the covenant in the uh, in the ark. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that is the mercy seat, which is the the golden the cover. lid, yeah, um, with the uh, the cherubim. There's mm-hmm. two golden cherubim with their wings outstretched over the mercy seat, and again they're guarding the mercy seat. This is this is where God descends to meet with 
with Moses mm-hmm. on the mercy seat. Right. And this is the place where the high priest sprinkles blood on the day of atonement. This is um, God's footstool. Mm-hmm. This is where God is. It's it's on the mercy seat, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting um, with New Testament reference. But anyway, right? I mean, we could we could spend a lot of time talking about the tabernacle. But he says in verse five, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Mm-hmm. So he talks about them to remind them of what the tabernacle looked like, and I think to remind them of the glory of it. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't this wasn't just some random um, piece of furniture this this was the glory of the old covenant it's covered in gold um, this is where god dwelt with his people in a special place this is where atonement was made for the sins of the people and um uh, the temple of first the first century was even more spectacular than this i mean this was just a tent right um but uh, I, I was reading josephus the, the jewish historian and he gives this description of the the temple in the first century, and uh, apparently it was covered with golden plates. And so he said, when the when the sun struck the temple, you, you mm-hmm. couldn't even look at it. You had to yeah. avert your gaze because it it was just like it, a sun, it was just like a sun. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the places that weren't covered in gold were were so white that from a distance it looked like a, a snow capped mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, can you even imagine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and it's built it's built on a on a on a hill. Right. So you have to, when you go into Jerusalem, you actually have to go up um, the Temple Mount. I mean, mm-hmm. you can see you can see pictures of this even today. You have to go up um, this mountain, and there's this golden structure, and uh, it it just would have been breathtaking. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds them of the of the glory of of this tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to even even picture it i mean even with these diagrams uh-huh. it's hard to really imagine what it would have looked like right yeah yeah it's a uh, it's amazing yeah. um and there were no indulgences sold to build that structure that's right it was all free will offerings, all uh, offerings. moses said we need we need gold and uh materials yeah. and the people of israel brought so much that they had to actually restrain the people from bringing any more mm-hmm. the the architects of the tabernacle said we've got more than enough so moses had mm-hmm. to restrain the people then your second point um, was, and I put the restrictions of the first covenant. Mm-hmm. But how did you word it? The weaknesses. The weaknesses. The weaknesses. So the the first covenant is it's a great covenant, and this is uh, the beginning of John kind of highlights the the superior uh, uh, the superior nature of mm-hmm. the coming of Christ. Yeah. The wording is something like uh, the law was given through Moses, grace mm. and truth came through Jesus Christ. The mm. point is not that the law or the first covenant were bad things. Right, they are gracious. Yeah, and you and and Paul talks about mm-hmm. this in Second Corinthians. I mean, we could have spent a lot of time talking about this. Um, Paul says that the the first covenant, the old covenant, came with glory. Mm-hmm. How much more the glory of the new covenant? That's right. Yeah. Um, that that even Moses's face was shining. Uh-huh. Um, under the old covenant, right? How, how much more the glory of of the new covenant? Yeah, and the 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 first covenant. The problem with the first covenant is um, when he said there's not really a problem. The problem is the people mm-hmm. that are in the new covenant, and God's design of this covenant containing these kind of weaknesses and restrictions mm-hmm. are are like a teaching method of God. Mm-hmm. 
So, and that's that's the third point. Yeah, right. right. So, but the uh, the <laughs> so, restrictions are in place. Yeah, so yeah. that it could it, it could leave you right um, looking beyond them mm-hmm. and hoping for something better. Right. It can bring you in in into uh, it can give you forgiveness, but there's some things that it, that can't happen. Mm-hmm. So let's let's walk through those. Yeah. So the the um, the the tabernacle is divided into two sections. So the priest would go in and uh, regularly attend to the lampstand, the bread of the presence, the altar of incense, um, and then the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in, and he could only go in one time a year, and he had to bring sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to bring blood of the sacrifice. Um, if he didn't do those things, he could die. Mm-hmm. God could just kill him. Um, so, <gasps> so he re- George. I know God. God. No doesn't, way. God doesn't kill people, does he, Jay? Um. So the the author of Hebrews he says that um, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So the the way is shut to God's presence. So you can imagine the the temple complex mm-hmm. or the or the tabernacle. You have this courtyard where the animals are being sacrificed. Um, the priests are, are ministering um, to the people in the courtyard. Um, but beyond that, the people are restricted. They, they, can't, they can't go, go in. in. They can't go in. There's there's a curtain, uh-huh. and only the priest, only the sons of Aaron can go in. Yeah. Um, and they go about their functions. This is what uh, Zechariah is doing in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 9. He's going in to burn the incense mm-hmm. on the altar of you incense. You think any kids ever made a run for it? Tried to get in. I could see my kids doing it a hundred percent. We go up, we make we may go up, we make a take. You know, we take uh-huh. up our 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 sacrifice, and uh-huh. it's a teaching moment for the kids. And yeah. you know, it's very solemn. Mm. And you shut your eyes to pray for a second, and you look up, and there and there he goes. There's Drake, dead sprint with a yeah. priest chasing him, and right before he gets in, you know, they snag him. It had it had to have happened. Well, you've got you've got the priests who are protecting the yeah. the tabernacle. Um, I would imagine that a good parent would say, "No, don't don't go any further because you might die." Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But, but you know, you know, someone tested it. Uh, they had they had to have probably. priests on the side set up to like run and spear them. Uh, probably tackle them. Yeah, Bam. yeah. It's, it was probably like uh, Buckingham Palace. Yeah. And you have all the all the uh, the <laughs> palace guards <laughs> right. standing around. Yeah. Um, you you see them with their big hats and they're uh-huh. just standing still as statues and and you uh, think well they're you know they're not going to do anything yeah <laughs> yeah it's like uh, every once in a while you know at, at Arlington National Cemetery at the Tomb of the Unknown mm-hmm. there's somebody who's like just a complete moron mm. and crosses uh-huh. and walks over and then they have an exchange mm-hmm. and the guy like yells at them yeah yeah I mean that's you know you know somebody tried right yeah yeah um, but only the priests were allowed to go in you. You had this curtain, and, and you had to be a, a, a Levite to go in. Um, but then, even even then, the Levites couldn't go past that second curtain. Right. Only the high priest could go in, mm-hmm. and he even he could only go once a year. Right. So you you can fill the and they served their the, whole life. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you were in line to be mm-hmm. the high priest, right? You're never going to see it. Yeah. You're never going in. Yeah. Um, and you you can fill the distance. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not a Levite, you're never getting any closer to where God is, 
right? I, yeah. this, this is where God is. He's above the mercy seat. And unless you're the high priest, you're, ne- you're never getting close. And mm-hmm. even then, you can only go once a year and you have to bring the blood of the sacrifice and the smoke, the smoke's filling it. So even then you don't have a clear, mm-hmm. a clear view of what's, what's going on. Um, there, there's a distance. The way is shut. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got these two curtains. They might as well have just been you know, iron gates. Uh, you you can't go in. Uh-huh. Um, so as long as as long as that that first section is standing, there's no there's no way you can get close right. to God. Um, so the first weakness of the the first covenant is that uh, the way is shut. Mm. You can't get to God. Um, it reminds it reminds the people of um, of Eden. This is what the tabernacle is supposed to represent. And we see it even more in the in Solomon's temple. It there's there's pomegranates and there's there's angels and there's there's animal uh, uh, molds mm-hmm. all around it. It's supposed to remind them of a garden, right? Um, and this is where God is. But what is blocking the way? It's the cherubim, mm-hmm. right? There there's uh, there's two cherubs that are are blocking the way. Um, you you cannot pass. You cannot go any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds them of the holiness of God and their own sinfulness. Um, but then the second weakness is uh, that these uh, these arrangements and gifts and sacrifices that are offered they cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body. Um, and I was I was just thinking as I was looking at the diagram that you've got you know you've got this tabernacle you've got this tent you have this lampstand and this this table with some bread on it and this altar of incense and I'm I'm just thinking as an as a, a you know, just a typical Israelite, how is that appeasing your guilty conscience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what what is the what is the knowledge that there's a table with some bread um, right. in it? What what's that going to do for you when you realize I told a lie to my my sister? Right. Yeah. Here we go back up to the temple again. <laughs> right. Yeah. For I mean, if they're if they're like Martin Luther, I mean, mm. were they just going to put it in? Like you're just going to have. Hey, it's breakfast. It's lunchtime. Oh, well, at three o'clock, it's time to go to the temple, mm. and I just go every day because I don't know. I don't know how like, that works you, because yeah. you've got uh, you got the tabernacle in one place, and you've got people that are living, you know, miles and miles and miles away. Um, I, I don't know how it works. Um, I I think that that's where the Day of Atonement comes in. That you need the Day of Atonement um, because. I I could you know you can you can understand Luther's um, his despair that he felt. What can actually forgive my sins? What can actually cleanse my guilty conscience? Mm-hmm. Um, what can set my heart free? And um, the author of Hebrews says it's it's not these it's not these rituals. Mm-hmm. The rituals they they couldn't do it. Well, yeah, and that's that's all they did was replace one set of rituals with a brand new set of rituals. Mm. Um, it's very much. I mean, we do. We need to play the video. Oh yeah, I think let's, you've got let's a video. play. Yeah, let's play this video. But let's it's, play this video because I think I think yeah. people they don't quite they don't quite understand what the what the Catholic Church does. Yeah, let's play it. Um, as you go into a, a Catholic church into a catholic cathedral there's things that are going on that you you probably aren't aware of um this is a video of a this is a uh, one video of a series of videos i found from a catholic priest who's kind of walking through the different um elements 
Like if you're if you're new to the Catholic Church, here's what you're going to see. Right. And this is the one that I thought was the most interesting because it it has relevance for what this passage was. Yeah. But if you walk into a Catholic church, they've got, you know, they've got the holy water you're supposed to wash. I mean, yeah. This is like the courtyard. You put the sign of the, of the tabern- there's this is like the the courtyard of the tabernacle. The priests mm-hmm. were supposed to wash um, when they went about their right. their rituals, right? So you, you walk in to the sanctuary and uh well, you know, let's 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 watch that this holy video. water. Let's... They cross, they cross through the sign of the cross, they kneel down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So let's watch this video. Okay. Welcome back to the Lenten Lessons in the Mass Premium Edition. I'm so happy I can take time to show you these things and teach you these things. Because I've always been fascinated by the Mass, and once I was ordained as a priest, even more so. Today I want to direct your attention to the tabernacle. Isn't that beautiful? And behind that tabernacle, Mm. that golden mosaic of a dove. That's representative of the Holy Spirit. Now, the church teaches us that in our churches, chapels, cathedrals, basilicas, that the tabernacle should be in a place that is conspicuous, which means when you walk in, you should be able to see it. Second, it should be of noble material. And third, it needs to be secure. How is the tabernacle secure here? It's bolted down into the marble. You can't move it, right? You can't move it. The second um, security features, we have a wrought iron fireproof grill over this because if nobody's here i don't want anyone getting in it's got a very special lock there look at this right next to the tabernacle there is this little gold covered um, glass of water it's called a piscina p-i-s-c-i-n-a which is a latin word for pool it's where the priest would wash his fingers if he touched the holy eucharist and he was going to bring the Holy Eucharist to somebody who is sick. Right? That's a little piscina. And next to it is a little white cloth so he can dry his hands. That stuff now, kills demons. Just for you, you know I'm that? going to open the tabernacle. In the yeah. presence of our Lord, we should always be quiet. If you ever go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, to the right there's this magnificent chapel. It was designed and built by John Lorenzo Bernini. And as you walk in, there's this tall um, curtain from top to bottom, must be 30 feet tall, made out of dark blue velvet. And above the door, it says silentium, S-I-L-E-N-T-I-U-M. And you don't have to be a Latin scholar to figure out what that means. It means being silent. And how did they enforce the silence there? Nah, there's a few people going shush, 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 shush. But most of all, it's the two unmarked Swiss guards who are standing on either side, and they're big. So you mind your manners. So as you approach the tabernacle, I make a genuflection. I open the tabernacle, Mm. and look at that. There's another veil. It's the Holy of Holies. And I part the veil, and here is the ciborium. And it's got yet another veil, because things that are sacred have a veil. And I can take the top off, and there is the Holy Eucharist. That is Jesus Christ truly present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Really, truly, and substantially present. We believe it by faith, but those words are true. And what we know by faith is even more certain than what we know by reason. And we keep the Lord here in the tabernacle so that we can visit him daily. And also wild, man. so that, that we can bring the Holy Eucharist to somebody. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. 
because it violates uh, like all kinds of doctrines related. To, <laughs> it really does. Like rela- yeah. if just related to the Trinity and Christ Christology, uh-huh. it just violates all kinds. Yeah, like it. it, it uh, Jesus has a human body. Mm-hmm. He's not in the box. <laughs> Right, yeah. and so uh-huh. we'll we'll talk about in the in the conference that you know when Jesus says in Matthew eighteen that we're two or more gathered in the context of church discipline, mm-hmm. uh, but it can also apply to you know when if there's just a small local gathering of Christians, he's present, mm-hmm. or in Matthew twenty eight uh, in the Great Commission, um, I am with you always even to the end of the age, like uh, Jesus is speaking of his presence because. Uh, wherever the Spirit is, the Father and the Son are there also, mm. the mutual indwelling. So Jesus has for has a human body that is, uh, he will always be a human, but he, ne- he doesn't stop being who he was before the incarnation mm. as, uh, a, as truly divine, mm. second person of the Trinity. Right. But... If you do this type of thing, then you become like a tritheist, and you also uh, deny the real humanity, yeah, the the eternal humanity of Jesus. He's become like a um, a third type of new being, right? Um, like 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 the divinity and the humanity birthed a hybrid, like a hybrid. It's like when the predator and the alien, the predalien, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to like get people to get it. Like Jesus is not. I'm sure that's going to do it for them. Well, it should. It should do it. It should do it for them. Yeah. It should do it. God, and then the humanity didn't birth like a supermanity, a Superman. Yeah. And the Superman Jesus, mm-hmm. his body isn't somewhere at the right hand, and also in all these boxes on the earth right. at the same right. time. Yeah, this is the language that he used was was just really striking to me. That here in this box, we put Jesus back into yeah. the box so we can visit him daily. Yeah, that's right. What? Like, what, what is this? <laughs> they have a so the rest of the video. He um, he talks. They have this light. Mm-hmm. This well, light. we can watch the rest. Okay, of it. Okay, yeah. Let's it's, watch it's the rest. Just, of it. It's just a minute and a half. It is interesting. Just in case they're dying, that's called the viaticum. V-I-A-T-I-C-U-M, to go with you. And so priests are always available to bring the Holy Eucharist to people who are sick and dying on their deathbed. Okay, here's I remember the as a lamp. child, mm. my parents would teach me, look for the candle that's burning in the church. That tells you that Jesus Christ is truly present in the tabernacle. Because <laughs> there's one day of the year when the tabernacle is empty, and that's from Good Friday in the afternoon until Easter Sunday. This is the vigil lamp. Inside is a candle. It burns for eight days. The outside is red. It doesn't have to be red. It could be blue. It could be no color at all. But it really grabs your attention. And it's like a silent sentinel keeping company with our Lord Mm. Jesus Christ, telling you that our Lord Jesus Christ is truly present. That candle is a symbol of the light of Christ. Light attracts. Christ attracts. Joy attracts. Goodness attracts mercy and charity and empathy and compassion and humility attract. There's deep, deep meaning in this simple, simple ornament here, but it's very, very important. 
Did you like what you learned today? All right, today? there you go. All um, right. Did you like what you learned there today? Um, <laughs> Jay, there's the light to let you know that Jesus is in the box. George, I don't know what's going on over there at my camera. Look at it's flashing red. I think that means we're about out of time. Oh, it's about wow. to go off. Oh, oh. Yeah. Interesting. What do you, we'll find out here in a second, I, I guess. guess. So. I don't know. Is yours flashing red over there? Hmm. It probably means it's like overheating or something. I don't know. Boom. There oh, it goes. The camera's hey. too hot. All right. We reached the limit at one hour and seven minutes. <laughs> So we'll we'll learn this. I think it's because that light is right on it. Oh yeah. Can you feel it right now with your hand? You can switch back over to George, since my camera died. Is it hot? Yeah. So is yeah, it because the light is on it? You think? Maybe. It's just hot on that corner. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you yeah. can just put it on George. Yeah, that seems to be. So let's uh, let's let's finish up then, George. Okay. So those were the weaknesses, mm -hmm. um, and. and I wanted to show that video because it, uh, I, uh, hopefully it's a reminder to people that this is still going on. You hear the, you hear this priest and he's using the same language from the, the, um, the old Testament right. tabernacle and, and temples. Yeah. You walk into the sanctuary. Uh, there's another video where he talks about the altar. Mm -hmm. There's, there's this big table. It's made out of marble. They call it the altar. Uh huh. Um, it's not, it's not a table. It's an altar. Right. Um. It's where they actually they perform. perform the mass, which is a recrucifixion. It's a it's a bloodless sacrifice. Right. They believe it's a, another crucifixion. Yeah. But you have the tabernacle. You have they open it up, and there's the the holy of holies, and there's there's the body and blood of Christ that's truly present mm -hmm. in in this box. Right. Um. They put him back in the box, and there's a light to let you know when he's in the box. Yeah. It's all very uh. It's all very bizarre. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, it's just going back. It's just going back. I think the best, the best apologetic against Roman Catholicism is the Book of Hebrews, mm. um, because he's showing that these these things were not meant to be a, an end in themselves. Okay. And that's the last point. That's the, the last, last point. The last point is that the first covenant was actually anticipating this time of reformation. Um, so he says in verse in verse eight, he says, "By this." Uh, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So um, what he, he's saying there is that the Spirit actually intended for the tabernacle um, with all of its furnishings and with all its rituals with the priests and, and all their work, it actually was meant to teach us. It, this wasn't some kind of clever invention from, from man. This wasn't something that later theologians came up with. What he's telling us is that um, the Holy Spirit, when giving these instructions to Moses for the, the construction of the tabernacle, they actually were meant to, uh, to teach and so the divisions of the tabernacle were actually meant to point beyond themselves to something greater. And that's what the, uh, the ESV has it in, um, in parentheses in verse 9 when it says, this is, or which is a symbolic for the present age. And um, that word symbolic, I was, I was really frustrated with the ESV when I was, when I was studying this because the ESV... Um, translates it as which is symbolic which is um an adjective uh. and the word is actually a noun so it should it should say this is a symbol okay i don't know why the esv translated a noun the way that it did hmm. uh, it's just a little <laughs> it's just a little frustrating for me mm -hmm. uh, but it's the word for parable okay so this this is a parable 
for the present age. Okay. Um, I, I found the King James and the New Living, which I don't use the New Living very often, but I, I thought that it was it was helpful mm-hmm. um, to kind of get a grasp on it. The King James says this was a figure for the time then present. And the New Living translation says this is an illustration pointing to the present time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the point of it is that the tabernacle intended by the Holy Spirit was meant to picture something else. That's that's what the that's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, th- it was not meant to be an end in itself. It was meant to be a teacher. Right. So the the tabernacle with all of its rituals and its two divisions with the priests that are going into the first section and and going about their their rituals and the holy of holies where the high priest is going in once a year. It was all supposed to be pointing the people to something else. Right. Um, that's why he says that the the these rituals, the 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 sacrifices, the gifts, um, they weren't able to perfect the conscience of the worshiper. I, I like what Calvin says. Um, he's uh, he's talking about this. He says the apostle understands by these words um, that they were earthly symbols which did not reach the soul. For though they were true testimonies of perfect holiness. Yet, them, uh, yet they by no means contained it in themselves, nor could they con- convey it to men. For the faithful were by such helps led as it were by the hand to Christ, that they might attain from him what was wanting in the symbols. Mm. So the symbols are communicating truth. They're, right. they're communicating what God is, is going to do, mm-hmm. but they weren't, they weren't supposed to be, they didn't contain that in themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's why the the author is going to say in chapter ten that that all these these animal sacrifices they could never uh-huh. accomplish it. They could never actually atone for sin. That's why they had to be done over and over again. They weren't supposed to. They were supposed to point forward to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and the faithful Israelites in the Old Testament they received that by faith. They they weren't trusting in um, the priests to offer incense on this altar to atone for their sin. They were looking beyond it to what Christ was going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the camera's back now. Oh, very. Yeah. Nice. We'll have to figure out to put a fan on that or something. I don't know, but I wonder. And I'm curious about this now. What is the doctrine? What do they believe in the Catholic Church about the, the uh, indwelling of God in the believer, indwelling of the Holy Spirit into in the person into in every believer? I don't know. Because because um, they still because they still have that separation between the laity and the, and the priest, right. so there's got to be. I don't have be, the priesthood of all believers, right? In the way that we would mm-hmm. we affirm, I mean, straightforward reading of the scriptures, which affirms the priesthood of all believers, right. and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at regeneration, um, and because of our doctrine, I don't of, know what I don't even know what their. Um, their doctrine of regeneration is. I don't either. I know, I know that they, when they baptize a baby, it's by the act done by the priest, mm-hmm. um, and the he that takes away original sin. And I thought imparted yeah. the Holy Spirit to the to the baby, but okay. I don't know that their doctrine of regeneration definitely is not like ours, um, <laughs> right? And so, but we believe this. I think what we believe actually fits with what's going on here in Hebrews. So mm-hmm. we don't. Like visit Jesus in a box, right? We believe we're indwelled by Jesus, right? Indwelled by the Father, indwelled by the Son, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now the whole the Holy Spirit is the one who 
this is his work of indwelling, regeneration, infilling, uh, but the whole Trinity is there. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't like it. It it would change the way people probably live if they believed everything they did uh, they were doing, and God was literally with them. Mm. So yeah. probably a lot harder to uh, intentionally sin against God when you believe you're carrying God with you, and or to sin against another Christian mm. when you believe that person also has Jesus with them. Well, you could just buy an indulgence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just make sure that the, the you just make you just make sure the candle isn't burning next to the to <laughs> that Christian. That means that Jesus isn't isn't yeah. present with that person at that yeah. moment. Um, all tongue in cheek, of course. Uh, of course, um, of course. Well, I mean, we could do a, a systematic theology of of this because the the author of Hebrews, his main point is um, dealing with the the contrast between the earthly temple mm-hmm. and the heavenly temple. So, right. so whereas the the earthly priests, the the Levites, are are going through all these rituals and making these sacrifices on earth. Christ has done something greater by offering a greater sacrifice in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could look across uh, other New Testament passages, um, John chapter 2, where Jesus says, destroy the temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Right. Um, and uh, John, John gives the commentary. The, the temple he was talking about was the temple of his body. Mm-hmm. So Jesus himself is the temple. Um, that's picked up in Revelation chapter 22. I didn't see a temple because the lamb is the temple. Uh, but then 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, um, we are the temple. So mm-hmm. God has, uh, and first, what, first Peter chapter 2, we're, we're being built up yes, into a temple. Yeah, that's right. Um, so there's, there's, different, uh, there's different angles that the New Testament oh, comes yeah. at it. This... Uh, and I was tempted to go there, but that's not what he's. That's not what the author of Hebrews is doing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He's his his main point is not trying to draw out that Jesus is the true temple, mm-hmm. but that Jesus has done something in heaven greater that hasn't that hasn't been done and can't be done on earth. Right. Um, and what he has actually done is um, open the way. Yeah. The way is not shut anymore. It's open because of what Christ has done. Right. Um, these these rituals and sacrifices that the uh, the the Levites um, uh, do all the time mm-hmm. um, has to be repeated over and over and over again. But what we're going to see as we continue going through chapter nine and chapter ten is that Jesus has done it once for all. And whereas these these uh, these gifts cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, we're going to see next week that Jesus his his work actually does. Yeah, yeah, Matthew twenty seven. Uh, 51. This is uh, the detail mm. that is included uh, when Jesus was crucified, and uh, he he lets out his uh, this cry of what do they call the cry? The theological term. That's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and the you know there was darkness on the earth for for those three hours. Then when this happens, there's a big earthquake, and it, the text says. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Mm. Um, very, I mean, obviously, super clear. Yeah, like what the God way has, is open. What God has done through mm. the death of Christ. Yeah, as He's made, made and then the way. and then you've got the then you've got the Catholic Church that builds a box and puts a little curtain back yeah. <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's uh, it's just going backwards. That's that's why that's why we continue 
reforming mm-hmm. because we're not together. Um, this idea that, uh, that that Protestants and Catholics are together and we should just work on being unified and this this ecumenical movement that right. that people keep buying into, we're not together. Mm-hmm. We're not together. Um, we need to to hold fast to sola scriptura to to what does the Bible say. Um, and uh, if we do that, I think that we'll find that uh, many of the teachings of the Catholic Church are contrary to the Scriptures, yeah. and not only the Roman Catholic Church, but many, many uh, churches. All right. Awesome. Uh, we need to constantly be reforming. Yeah. All right. Thanks, George. All right. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. A uh, lot more where that came from. <laughs> what? <laughs> Your video played. My video started playing for there's, some reason. Hey, there's a lot more where that came from. There's a lot more where that came from. So <laughs> hope you'll hope you'll come back next time. I uh, hope it's beneficial to you. I've got a conference coming up this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday. If you're interested, go to Christ-Centered.Church. You can register there. Be a great time. We're talking about the Trinity, all about the Trinity. Great time of fellowship. If this has been beneficial to you, please like, subscribe, share, maybe consider writing us a review, uh, passing along to your friends. As always, it's our desire that this helps you to be more and more conformed to Christ. We'll see you next time.